So first I'm going to be reading from Luke chapter 23, 26 to 31. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross. They compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in, in, in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they laid on him the cross and he carried it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who bewailed and lamented him. But Jesus turned to them and said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the womb that never bore and the breast that never gave suck. And they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills cover us. For if they do this when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Now verses 32 to 43. They brought him to the place which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, which means the place of a skull. There they crucified him, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They offered him a wine mingled with myrrh, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and made four parts, one for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was without seam, woven from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture. They parted my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did this and sat down to keep watch over him. It was past the third hour when they crucified him. Pilate also wrote a title and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this title for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And he was written in Hebrew and Latin and in Greek. The chief priests of the Jews then said to Pilate, do not write the King of the Jews. But this man said, I am the King of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who will destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and the elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. If he is the king of Israel, let him come down now from the cross that we may see and believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. One of the criminals who were uh, hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you are this, under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. And now we're going to read from John 19, 25 to 27. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and a disciple whom he loved standing near, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. And now Matthew 27, 45 
to 53, the last passage. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. When the sun's light failed, and at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing, hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A bowl full of vinegar stood there, so, so one ran and put a sponge full of vinegar on hyssop and held it to his mouth, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. When Jesus had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. Then crying with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And uttering a loud cry, he breathed his last, bowed his head, and gave up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion who stood facing him saw what had taken place, he praised God and said, certainly this man was innocent. And when those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. Amen. All right. Can we pray again? Our Father in heaven, we just thank you for your goodness and mercy. Lord Jesus, we just pray that you would be with us tonight as we come to meditate and reflect upon your death. Lord, give us all ears to hear. Give us hearts to perceive. Help us to see you. Give us eyes to see you in your passion, to see you crucified to see you on the cross on our behalf. Lord, I ask for each of us in here tonight that you would give us a new, a new sight, a new vision, a new appreciation for your suffering, realizing and understanding that you suffered on our behalf, that you loved us and gave yourself for us. Lord God, would you bless the preaching of your word tonight, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good evening, Restore Church and Summit Church and 5.7 Church. It's always a privilege for me to be here with you all. Have such a profound love for Pastor Mike and Cleet and for Charles and the pastors here, Pastor Nick and Ovi. Such a great blessing to have you all in the city of Detroit. In a time when there are so few that are still standing for the true gospel, I thank God for Restore Church and for your witness to the gospel here in the city of Detroit. Such an honor to call you all my friends. But tonight we're here to consider the death of our Lord Jesus. Good Friday is the day that we remember 
the death of our Lord Christ, the night of his passion, leading up to his resurrection, which we will be celebrating on Sunday morning. But we'll be talking about the, the subject of our Lord's death from within the context of Isaiah 53. And brothers and sisters, there is no place in all of the Bible, especially with regards to the Old Testament, which gives us such a clear and profound picture of the Lord in his death and in his suffering. Isaiah 53 comes within a section of, of passages which focuses on the servant of Yahweh. We know these, these passages as the servant songs. In these passages from Isaiah 40 through Isaiah 55, we have these different passages which focuses on this unique figure called the servant of the Lord. And at times it's not quite clear who this servant of the Lord is. At times it's clear that he's referring to Israel. There's a sense in which Israel was the special servant of Yahweh. Israel as a nation was to be God's son. Israel as a nation was to be a holy priesthood. They had the law of God. They had God's truth. They had the true worship of God at the temple. They were to be a light to the Gentile nations and spread the truth of God to all the families of the earth. But Israel failed in its calling. They broke God's commandments. They were unfaithful to the covenant. Rather than leading the nations to the knowledge of the true God, they followed the nations in the worshiping of idols and in the practicing of all manner of wickedness. But Isaiah goes on to talk about this, this unique servant of God who, in a sense, transcends the nation of Israel. There is a servant of Yahweh who will come out of the nation of Israel and will be a particular individual. And in a special and unique way, this individual servant would truly be the son of God. And he would truly be a light to the Gentiles. And this servant Messiah would, would regather Israel after its captivity and bring salvation and restoration to Israel. And he would usher in an eternal heavenly kingdom wherein would be righteousness and peace. But Isaiah informs us of something else concerning this servant. He's a suffering servant. There is something about his whole ministry and life that is characterized by suffering. And of course, obviously, the suffering servant here is Jesus. And we know that Jesus is known for his suffering. But Isaiah gives us a clear picture here. He's, he's explaining us in our text tonight in Isaiah 53, 4 through 6. His intention here in these central verses is to explain to us why the, suf the servant had to suffer. And it's in considering this passage that we learn something even more profound about the love of Christ for us and what he suffered on our behalf. First of all, let's consider the picture of the suffering servant. Consider the picture here of the suffering servant. Look at verse 4. It says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And so here he is 
He is associating this servant here with one who specifically carried grief and sorrow. Not only was he associated with grief and sorrow, the Bible tells us that there was nothing about this Jesus that was attractive. There was nothing about him that was attractive. Look at verse 2. It says, he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of a dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire of him. This is speaking about the, the humiliation of Jesus. There was nothing attractive about him, even though he was truly the son of God, the eternal son of God. Yet in being born of a woman and coming and taking upon himself the form of a servant, there was nothing in the eyes of the world that was attractive about Jesus. The scripture says here that not only was he inattractive, he wasn't, he wasn't some great ruler, he wasn't some great king, some prince nobility. He was just a meek, lowly, humble servant. But not only was Jesus unattractive to the eyes of the world, he was also despised in the eyes of the world. Verse 3, he was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. In what way was Jesus acquainted with sorrow and grief? This word for sorrow here, it means pain. The word for grief, it means sickness. This is speaking to the fact that what was so humiliating about Jesus and what was, what was the nature of his suffering is that he came to identify with us in our sin. Matthew picks up on this. In the gospel of Matthew chapter 8 verses 16 and 17. Matthew sees in the healing ministry of Jesus. A fulfillment of this passage in Isaiah. In Matthew 8 16 and 17 it says. That evening they brought to him many. Who were oppressed by demons. And he cast out the spirits with a word. And healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. And so here we get a hint already at the nature of Jesus' suffering and why he suffered. He's suffering because he came to take upon our suffering. But notice... Why does he mention the suffering in terms of him taking upon himself our sickness? Was the primary focus of Jesus' ministry to heal sickness and disease? No, it's a deeper, it's a more spiritual sickness. The idea here, brothers and sisters, is that Matthew sees in the healing ministry of Jesus a sort of picture of the real spiritual need that Jesus came to heal. You see, in many ways... Sin is like sickness. These people who were uh, suffering from lameness and blindness and deafness and, and all manner of other life-threatening diseases, in many ways those sicknesses and those diseases were pictures of sin and what sin does to us. Brothers and sisters, sin is not a plaything. Sin is not fun. Sin causes pain and sorrow and sickness, spiritual sickness. 
And so when it says that Jesus bore our sickness, he bore and carried our sorrow and our grief, Jesus was enduring the very results and consequences of what sin had done for, to us. But not only that, sin is painful. It brings grief and sorrow because not only is sin an affliction, but sin also incurs the wrath of God. Sin incurs the wrath of God. You see, sin is the antithesis of God's holy character. It is the, the absolute contradiction of all that God is. The Bible says that God can't even look upon wickedness. God is too holy to even look upon it. God is the one who is three times, thrice holy. The angels praise him. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Why do they emphasize his holiness? This is, this is the primary characteristic of God, his holiness, which speaks of his utter exaltedness, his utter, utter otherness from us. God is absolutely pure and above us. Sin cannot dwell in his presence. It can only be met with God's wrath. And so this is why the people are enduring grief and pain and sorrow because of their being under the wrath of God. And so this points us to why the servant had to suffer. Again, look at verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs. Look at the personal pronouns there. Surely he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. Jesus was not just a man of sorrows. He was not just a man of grief because he was just some depressed, melancholy person. He bore our grief. He bore our sorrows. And the Jews at first didn't understand this. They didn't understand why Jesus was this suffering servant, why his whole life was characterized by suffering. The Jews didn't understand it. Look at what it says there in the second part of verse 4. And by the way here, Isaiah is speaking in the person of the Jewish nation. This is as, as if it were the Jewish nation speaking about their Messiah whom they rejected. Notice what it says there in the second part of verse 4. Yet... We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. In other words, when we saw this Messiah, or whom we didn't believe to be the Messiah, but when we saw this Jesus in his affliction, in his grief, in his suffering, we supposed that he was stricken and smitten by God. In other words, they thought Jesus was a sinner. In other words, they thought Jesus was accursed. Remember the law of God said, curse it are those who hang on a tree. In hanging Jesus on the cross, Jesus was identifying himself with the curse of the law. And the Jewish people looked at Jesus as though he was cursed. You saw how they mocked him and scorned him. But now Isaiah speaking in the voice of repentant Israel says this, we thought that he was stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. But here's the reality of it. We now know this, but he was wounded for our transgression. 
he was crushed for our iniquity. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. Brothers and sisters, what a clear picture of the gospel here, even in the Old Testament. In this Old Testament passage written 700 years before Jesus came into the world. Unbelieving scholars say that, that Paul and the, the Christian church made up this whole idea of a substitutionary death, a vicarious atonement. When we speak of a vicarious atonement, we're talking about Jesus suffering and dying on our behalf. On the cross, he is dying and suffering, not because of anything he has done, but on our behalf. He, is, he has taken our sin upon himself. And there are certain unbelieving scholars who said, well, you know, Paul made that up. The Old Testament didn't say anything about a Messiah who would die vicariously for his people. But brothers and sisters, does it get any clearer than this? In this Old Testament passage, he was wounded. Why? For our transgression. He was crushed. Notice that. Notice the language there. He was crushed. For our iniquities, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And again, he, 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 does, he wants us to get the picture. He, he mentions this over and over again, even in this one passage here. Look down in verse 10 of Isaiah 53. It says, by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living? Why was Jesus cut off out of the land of the living? Stricken for the transgression of my people. Jesus was cut off out of the land of the living because he was being stricken for the transgressions of God's people. Look again there at verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt. You see that? God the Father crushed his son Jesus upon the cross. The wrath of God came upon Christ and crushed him and put him to grief. And why? Because his soul was made an offering for sin. It's no wonder that Jesus, as the suffering servant, as Messiah, had to be both man and God. Our Redeemer, our Messiah, had to be man in order to be our substitute, in order to die vicariously for us. He must have been a real, true human being. But he also had to be God. Because no human being could bear the full weight of the unmitigated, unmixed, undiluted wrath of God upon all the sins of the world bearing down upon Jesus upon the cross. It would have crushed any other man. 
But it was because that was not just a mere man on the cross. It was the eternal son of God, the word who was in the beginning, who became flesh. It was because he was the word, the second person of the triune Godhead, that he was over able to bear the full weight of God's wrath and yet get up conquering the grave with all power in his hand as we will celebrate in just a few days in his resurrection. Brothers and sisters, this is the heart of what we believe as God's people. That Jesus died on that cross on our behalf. 1 Peter 2.24 He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Notice that Peter is quoting from Isaiah 53 there. When Christ was on that cross, not only did he bear our grief, not only did he bear our sorrow and pain, but he bore our sins in his body. God took all of our sin and imputed it to Jesus. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. All of our sin, all of my sin, all of your sin was put on Jesus on the cross. Romans 4.25, speaking about Jesus, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Why was he delivered up? He was delivered up for our trespasses. Galatians 1.4 Paul, speaking of Jesus, who is Jesus? The one who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. And I love Paul's words in Galatians 2.20. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I, I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ loved his church and gave himself for his church. But what is this sin? What is this iniquity? What is this transgression that Jesus was pierced and crushed and chastised upon the cross for? Verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What is that iniquity? All we like sheep have gone astray. It's important to understand what sin really is. Especially in our generation. Because we live in such a humanistic narcissistic generation where people we don't believe and see ourselves as sinners anymore. And that's a tragedy because you can't appreciate Christ's substitutionary death if you don't see yourself as a sinner. I'm a good person. Yeah, I have a few mistakes. I, 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 make some, I, have, a, I have flaws. Yeah, I'm not perfect, but I'm a good person. I have a good heart. That's not what the Bible says, brothers and sisters. 
The Bible says there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none good. There is none who understands. None who seeks for God. But see, we, we, we define sin based upon the people that's worse than us. We comfort ourselves in saying, well, I'm not as bad as that person. I don't do those things. I don't rape people. I don't molest. I don't kidnap little children. I'm not a murderer. So I'm not a bad person. But these various acts of sin, they're just symptoms, brothers and sisters. That's not the essence of what sin really is. The essence of what sin really is is this. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. You may be a moral person. You may be a good parent. You may be a faithful spouse. You may work hard. You may be a, a decent person in the eyes of the world. But guess what? If you live life your own way, doing what you think, doing what you feel, and you like sheep have strayed away from God, then the Bible says that is sinful and wicked and evil and it deserves the wrath of God. And that's what Christ died for. He died for our straying away. He died for our stubbornness by which we turn to our own way. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. So brothers and sisters, what really should we contemplate when we think about our Lord's death upon that cross? Him bearing our grief and bearing our sorrow. Him drinking from the cup of the wrath of his Father on our behalf. First of all, consider the greatness of Jesus' love for his bride. He laid down his life for his bride, for his people, for his church. Think about it. What Jesus suffered on that cross, as Pastor Ovi just read that account of our Lord's passion. The most cruel injustice ever perpetrated. All of this Jesus endured. Why? Because he loved us and gave himself for us. Contemplate and think about that. When you think about Christ on that cross with those nails driven through his, his hands and, and driven through his feet and the spear stabbed in the side, the crown of thorns, the, the whippings on his back, all of the humiliation and the pain that he suffered, he did it because he loves his bride. He laid down his life for his bride. But also, think about the great love that Jesus has for his father. Again, he's the suffering servant. He's the slave of Yahweh, his father. Christ came into the world as the servant of Yahweh. He did it to obey his father. It was the will of the father that Christ would lay down his life for his people. And Paul tells us in Philippians 2 that Jesus didn't hold on to his divinity. He didn't say, wait a minute, I'm the son of God. I'm not coming down there dying for a bunch of filthy sinners. The Bible says he, he didn't think his equality with God was something to be clinged on to. But he emptied himself and he came in the form and fashion of a servant. And he became obedient even to the death of the cross. 
And he did that because he was the servant of his father. He obeyed even to the point of death. He gave up all his heavenly glory and splendor in order to obey his father. What a model Jesus is of servanthood. And we are all called to be servants. We are all called to be servants. What is the first lesson in discipleship that Jesus gave his disciples? If anyone will follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Just as Jesus denied himself and took up the cross and took up our sin and took up our grief and sorrow and endured the wrath of God in obedience to his Father, you and I, each of us must deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow in the footsteps of Jesus, the great servant who died on our behalf. Lord, we just ask you to give us the ability to see anew the depths and the profundity of your suffering upon the cross. Oh God, may we not read through this account of your death with cold, calloused, indifferent hearts, but would you break our hearts? Even as you were crushed, oh Jesus, on our behalf, would you cause our hearts to be crushed with the realization of your great love for us and how you died on our behalf? Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good evening, brothers and sisters. My name is Tina Lee, and I'm a member at Restore Church, and I'm going to lead us in a time of reflection and personal confession. So if you could bow your heads, and I will uh, start us off in prayer. Jesus, we thank you. Thank you, God, for coming here on this earth, humbling yourself to become the sacrifice on our behalf. Thank you, God for loving us, and as Pastor Brian just reminded us, loving the Father and being obedient to the Father. Lord, we pray this day as it is Good Friday, a day marked in the year annually for us to remember your sacrifice, remember the death of our Savior, remember why it was that you came so that you could die on our behalf. Lord, we pray that this day we would not waste it. Help us not to waste this evening right now as we are in the presence of our brothers and sisters and as we are in your presence, God, gathered here corporately. We pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes to our sin, Father. Help us, God, to repent of our sin, Lord. Help us, God, to confess our sin and to cling closer to you today. I pray, Lord, that in this place right now, no one will leave here the same as they came in, God, that we would repent of our sins today, right now, that we would all, Lord, open our eyes to what it is that is grieving you, God, that is separating us from you, Lord, that is allow, not allowing us to grow in our spiritual walk with you, not allowing us to be productive in our churches or in our families or in this world, God. Help us, Lord. Show us today and help us, Lord, to be obedient to your call to confess our sins unto you right now, God. 
Lord, I pray that you pour out your Holy Spirit upon us in this place right now, God. I pray, Lord, that we would confess sins that we've been holding on to for years, uh, for decades, God, that you would help us to see, see, Lord, you tonight. Will you meet with us right now, God? And Lord, you tell us to humble ourselves. So help us, God, to humble ourselves. We are so prideful. We are not able, Lord, to humble ourselves. So we need your spirit. So we pray and ask for your spirit right now. Keep your eyes closed and your heads bowed. We will have three people in the back um, to pray with anyone that needs prayer um, during this time. Even right now, if you want to go to the back, people will be there to pray with you. Um, we're going to do three sessions or three little sections of confession and prayer. And uh, feel free to just pray as the Lord is leading you right now, apart from these prompts. But if God is using these prompts, then pray along with us. And if there's something on your heart right now, if God is putting a sin on your heart, just confess that sin and turn to the Lord right now. But first, I want to ask a question to all of us. How impacted are we by the message that Pastor Brian brought to us right now? How am I, am I affected by the sacrifice of Jesus? Does that move me at all? Does that make me want to sing praises to God? Does that bring tears to my eyes? Does that have any weight on my heart and on my life right now? If it does not, may we confess right now, Lord, I am hardened. Do I even believe that you came and died for me? Let's ask him to help us believe. God, help my unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. Let's pray and ask God to help us believe in this truth, the gospel truth that Jesus really came, that God who created this universe really came in flesh, that God would help us believe right now. Pray right now if that is you. If this is your first time hearing the gospel, pray that God will help you believe, that God would give you the Holy Spirit to believe in this truth. Lord, this is my first time hearing the gospel. If that is you, pray and ask that God would help you believe. God, we pray for us in our hearts right now, Lord. God, if the gospel, it has not impacted us anymore, Lord, I pray that you would bring it afresh and bring it anew in our hearts right now, Lord. Help us, God, open our eyes. If we have forgotten, if we have run away from you, if we um, said we believed years ago and yet lived as if we did not believe, then God, help us to believe in this moment right now. Help us, God, right now in this moment to say, Lord, I recommit my life to you. I recommit to you. I, I re-believe in the gospel. Or may we just confess, God, we just confess that we've been hardened and that we do not give the weight of Good Friday, the weight of the remembrance of Jesus, the weight that it, that it deserves. So, God, help us to feel that weight now. Reading from Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Let's pray right now that God would search our hearts and bring to the surface any grievous way in us. Is there an area of sin in your life that you have not surrendered to the Lord. 
as Pastor Brian reminded us that sin only leads or only gives or produces God's wrath. That is where we're walking if we continue walking in sin. Right now, let's confess to God our sin. If right now you're like, I don't have any areas of sin, then that's blindness on our end. So let's ask God, God, show me. Show me, Lord, where am I sinning? Where is there a grievous way in me? Where is there something where I am, I am blocking myself from receiving blessing from you? Where am I blind? God, open our eyes, unblock our ears, soften our hearts right now, God. Lord, as we confess our sins before you, Lord, we remember Good Friday. Thank you, God, for taking our sin, taking our iniquity for us, God. So we confess all our grievous ways right now. Every single thing that is coming to mind for my brothers and sisters in this room, Lord, we confess these things to you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that we do not have to account for our own lives. We can say we, we claim the righteousness of Jesus. It is through Jesus' blood that we are saved. Hallelujah. It is not by my righteousness and my works because I would be damned if I was on my own merit. But God, we claim the blood and righteousness of Jesus. Confess right now your sin. What sin is God bringing to your mind? What sin are you convicted of now? Confess your sin before the Lord. Turn from your sin. Turn from your sin and run to the Lord. He is, his arms are wide open. It doesn't matter what you've done. It does not matter what you've done. God is ready to receive you. And lastly, reading Matthew 5, 23. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Are there any unreconciled relationships in your life? As we have come upon Easter on Sunday, before we come to celebrate the resurrection, are there any horizontal relationships that we need to seek reconciliation with. Our spouses, our children, our parents, our friends, coworkers, brothers and sisters in the church. One thing I was reminded of even today, if Jesus, the creator of the universe, and far beyond what we know of the universe, can humble himself to come in the form of human flesh, and humble himself to die the death that he did, then I can humble myself to anybody. <laughs> anybody. If Jesus can humble himself that way, I can humble myself to anybody. So Lord, I pray God for us right now, Lord, help us to humble ourselves. Not just before you, but before our brothers and sisters, before every human relationship we have. God, we pray for restored relationships in marriages between uh, parents and children, between brothers and sisters, between friends, between church members. 
God, we pray, Lord, for reconciliation. You've given us the ministry of reconciliation even through Jesus. You sent Jesus so that we could be reconciled to God. Then, God, we must be reconciled to one another. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Thank you, God, for giving us yourself. Thank you, Lord, that you have shown us what it means to humble yourself. So, God, help us. Help us, Lord, to humble ourselves. And I pray, Lord, for restored relationships. Even before this Easter, that today, tomorrow, there will be restored relationships all around us. All around us. And, God, may it start with us humbling ourselves. Thank you, God, for this day. Thank you, Lord, for Good Friday. And, Lord, may we not waste this day of this year where we remember it is marked for all of us to remember your death. And, God, and we are so excited to celebrate that resurrection, to know that you have, you were who you said you were, and you really did what you came here to do, and you proved true on all things that you promised, God. And so, Lord, we pray that you would be with us. Help us, God, to really feel the weight of the gospel. Help us, Lord, to recognize and ask for repent, that we would repent and ask for your forgiveness of our sins and that we would be reconciled to one another, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you, Lord, and we look forward to Easter. Please be with us, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you guys stand with me? This might be a new song to some of you, but the chorus is pretty simple, pretty easy to learn, pretty wonderful because it's about our Savior. Let's sing together. Upon a hill, a perfect Savior, upon that day, the greatest love, the that should have fallen on us upon him upon him upon his head a crown of thorns upon his heart a broken world the wage of sin
Cheers.